I, I mean, suck at these games. For somebody who loves <laughs> guys shirtless in rom-coms, you did a very poor job at identifying who is shirtless the most <sighs> in movies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just, you know, I like to look. And... I like to look. I don't know who I'm looking at. I just like to see people shirtless. <laughs> Welcome to the Rom-Com Rewind Podcast. Hi, I'm Sarah. And I'm Devin. And like you, I love rewatching movies over and over again. You're here. You made it to us. You found us. You love romantic comedies, which is amazing news because we do as well. So this is a show where we rewatch rom-coms, break them down a bit for you, maybe take a peek behind the curtain, dig beneath the surface, and decide, does it still hold up? Today we have Fool's Gold. Gold. And wherever you're listening, please throw us a follow, subscribe, and if you want to reach out about anything on the pod... We answer 100% of our messages on Instagram, at Romcom Rewind. We have a message today from Claire. She says, hi guys, just wanted to message you and let you know how much I have loved listening to your podcast. The first episodes I heard were Bride Wars and Princess Bride. Great episodes. Oh, good episodes, yeah. And I've been on a binge since. You guys are so fun to listen to. I feel like I'm hanging out with friends. Some suggestions I would love to see you do, both our Anne Hathaway movies, are Ella Enchanted with Anne Hathaway... And Princess Diaries 2, now that you've done the first one, of course. She loves Chris Pine in that one. Okay, and that that's kind of the vibe that we sought out to create when we made this podcast. We're like, does, isn't it nice when you're just like in the basement, maybe a little, maybe a little bit of a glass of wine, but like hanging out with some friends just chatting about rom-coms and like your favorite movies and those lines and those moments that kind of live on forever. And maybe a few moments from this movie live on forever maybe shirtless matthew mcconaughey will always <laughs> live on forever even if the dialogue doesn't <laughs> fool's gold is a 2008 romantic action comedy directed by the great andy tennant um it actually reunites that trio because andy tennant matthew mcconaughey and kate hudson all did how to lose a guy in 10 days together fool's gold is the story of finn played by mcconaughey finn is a very i mean at the time we meet him unsuccessful treasure hunter he's kind of uh a little bit aloof with all portions of his life except for this treasure that he's searching for, the Spanish galleon, the Aurelia, which is supposed to have sunk uh, near an island close to Key West. Finn ends up getting into trouble with a creditor, Big Bunny, played by Kevin Hart. Big Bunny. Big Bunny, but Finn ultimately finds help in the form of his, well, during the movie, she becomes his ex-wife, Tess, played by Kate Hudson, who was the original person who discovered the general whereabouts of this lost treasure with him. Finn, Tess, Tess's boss, Nigel, played by Donald Sutherland, and his daughter, Gemma, played by Alexis Zena, embark on this grand adventure to find the treasure, maybe also rekindle some love between Finn and Tess while we're on our way. That's your lead-in for Fool's Gold. Warner Brothers Pictures presents... Oh, my God! Daddy, this man saved my life. A story about second chances. What are you doing here? Have a good day! I take it you've met. And golden opportunities. If we don't go after that treasure, it's going to haunt us the rest of our lives, and you know it. You really think I'd lie about this? Why not? You're a liar. I mean, this is such an inappropriate time to dwell on that. So tell us about the treasure. It's $500 million worth of diamonds, rubies, and emeralds the size of your fist. Anyone gonna find that treasure, it's gonna be me. I normally say, what are your thoughts? But I thought, 
I thought after all these years, you would just assume that I, like I was it. throwing to you. I like you. when you ask me, because then I'm like, okay, so, you know, it's a we good only, routine. But we're only a few episodes in, so fair enough. I understand how the chemistry might not be there between you oh and I. Oh my God. <laughs> what are your thoughts on this movie? Fool's Gold yeah. is gold. It's so fun. You know what? I love the two of them together. I think you can do no wrong with Matthew McConaughey and Kate Hudson. Yeah. Throw Andy in there, sure, as the director. Yeah, we love them. But the two of them, they truly do have chemistry. Like, whether you want to admit it or not, like, they are so seamlessly played on screen together. Um, I like the premise. Right now, I'm watching Outer Banks on Netflix, which is also about a treasure hunt. Oh, really? Um, which is possibly why I also chose this movie. Interesting. <laughs> hmm. um, Outer Banks is a little bit darker. Okay. okay. <laughs> There's guns, more guns than, and they actually like do things with those guns. So, um, in Outer Banks, <laughs> you're giving me a really weird sell on Outer Banks. Oh no, it's really, really good. It's really good. <laughs> I'm thoroughly enjoying it, it, but it's darker, much darker than Fool's Gold. Okay. Uh, Fool's Gold. So good, though. Like, I loved the the easy humor. Um, uh, you know, the writing was fun. The, the side characters were good. Um, the character uh, Donald Sutherland plays is great. You know, Rachel. the rich, yacht-owning guy who funds their adventure. I love it. Um, Mo, the, the guy who has a beef but not anymore by the end of the movie. Like, we like that. It's good. It, it's a happy ending. It's a good ending. And it's a satisfying ending because, like, you know, they're going to find the treasure. Spoiler the, alert. Yes. Yeah. We, we kind of <laughs> know all the beats we're going to hit. And yes, you're right. You're going to hit that one. I find, like, I, I agree with you. This is a really good movie. This film, I think, is an interesting one for our podcast just in terms of the, the history of romantic comedies. Because this comes out in 2008. Mm -hmm. And I think it was around the turning point after we had hit peak rom-coms where like overall perceptions started to turn a little yeah. bit like, like this film, you check out the reviews and it reviewed poorly. And I remember hearing about this movie back at the time and people were like, ah, it's not, it's not amazing. Make no mistake. This is a solid film for what's coming out now versus oh. what's coming out then. Oh my like, God. Yeah. We are, our, our expectations <laughs> were so high back then. Like this being a not great movie. Psh, I totally d disagree. This is a, a really strong movie. I think people were a little bit tired maybe of Matthew McConaughey rom-coms perhaps. I don't know how they could ever be, but yeah. Fair. And, and I, I want mean, that leads me into another point where like, I agree with you, Kate Hudson, Matthew McConaughey, the chemistry. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's mm -hmm. electric. And I think anyone who didn't see that, that McConaissance coming, that, that's what they called it when he started doing like Dallas buyers club. And I think there was the like more dramas and the, the Oscar nominated movies, yeah. I think is kind of where he ventured. Into, People right? were like, Oh my God, McConaughey can act. It's like, yeah, He's been acting this whole time. This, he, this was a <laughs> this good performance. This is acting, you guys. This is acting. And yeah. it was a good performance, even though it was like, you know, oh, we, we'd hit the peak of rom-coms. Yeah, it, it was still like he stole every scene he was in, I thought. And I kind of put this into the category of like, um, like you said, an adventure rom-com. So like Killers, Night and Day. Um, and this is better than those. Yes, I agree. Y you know, like that's kind of where I put it. And that is, it still exceeds those movies. Well, even last year, that J-Lo, Josh Duhamel action yes. rom-com came yeah. out. The name is escaping me right now. But Shotgun if you, Wedding. Shotgun Wedding. If you put that up against this, like 
Fool's Gold, far superior in my opinion. It's just, I think we hit a weird turning point mm-hmm. in like the late 2000s with rom-coms that I think um, I think wasn't deserved. Because watching back on this... It's a good, fun watch. This is a good, fun watch, guys. And it also took me to a nice hot place when we have a lot of snow here. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's cool. It was a nice break from so, the, uh, the snow. And like everywhere. I think we can yeah. all appreciate that. Like seeing... Kansas City was like so cold and I only know based on like where people are playing football right now how yes. cold it is in certain <laughs> states but it's been cold everywhere so fool's gold a nice little reprieve from your winter um let's dive into the movie I love the beginning of this movie we <laughs> get McConaughey getting shot at <laughs> we quickly get the background and the history that the movie is going to be about something called the Queen's Dowry and it was 500 million dollars lost at, at sea you know, uh, a ship that never made it to its destination. We see Matthew McConaughey's character, Finn, scuba diving with another guy, Alphonse, at the bottom of the ocean floor. And they're looking through the ocean floor for something, or obviously treasure. And their generator off their crappy boat falls into the ocean. And we kind of get the sense that they're not (laughs) wealthy explorationists, that they're doing it with what they have. We then see that the boat catches on fire, via comic book page and then the boat (laughs) sinks and it kicks up a piece of an old plate from the ship that was carrying the queen's dowry and the two guys don't realize that their ship has even sunk it takes them a while which is utterly hilarious just the absolute non like just the fact that they didn't even realize that their their generator hit the floor and also their entire ship it's a water pump that, oh, sorry, a, a water a... pump. Oh, I just thought because it was sparking. Okay, water <laughs> pump. <Did> Whatever. You... <laughs> it was sucking the, the stuff out of... Oh. Okay, you know what? No, never mind. You know what? Never it's mind. okay. Um, Generator, water pump, whatever. Same thing. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's not, but... We then meet Tess, and uh, who is working. Obviously, she's played by Kate Hudson. She's working on a yacht, a massive yacht. She's Chief Stew, probably. We, we love Below Chief Deck. Stew. She is Chief Stew. <laughs> if you love the show Below Deck, we also went through a Below Deck binge. And as we soon did. as I saw her, I'm like, that's a Chief Stew right there. <laughs> she's doing a great job as Chief Stew. Um, she's also going to get divorced tomorrow in Key West. And the yacht is going to drop her off. We go back to Finn, and Finn uses a guy's money to pay off old debts. So Big Bunny, we we meet Big Bunny. Finn goes to meet him and realizes that Big Bunny had given him like $65,000 to fix up a boat in order to find this queen's dowry, but he instead used, used the money to pay off old debts of other people that he had. So clearly he's not money conscious. Um, he tries to talk to Big Bunny about the plate, Big Bunny tries to get rid of him. He shoots uh, he shoots them to try and get away, but ends up at the bottom of the ocean tied to an anchor. So we have Finn at the bottom of the ocean trying to find the gun that also fell to the bottom of the ocean in this kerfuffle and shoots the chains off of him at the bottom of said ocean. Which I hate to be nitpicky about a rom-com. I did like how they kept this scene very light because it's like, dude's about to drown. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> that gun's absolutely not going to go off in water if it's... <laughs> If in water is wet yeah <laughs> that's, i'm pretty i'm not like i don't super actually expert know on it, f- but i don't think i don't know, you know i what? feel like you know i've watched some csi when they they shoot it in the water you keep going <laughs> i'm gonna look it up right now because i i thought for sure that's not possible <laughs> who still watches csi oh a gun may work yeah. one or two times Before. when fired underwater yeah because i feel like it would it would stay 
like the water wouldn't necessarily be able to get in until you fired said shot. And then it can go in, right? They they would only be able to travel a few feet in water, though. Oh. I mean, he was pretty close to... Oh, okay, all no, right. He, in, was, he was like... Inconclusive. Right, okay. Fair, fair. But maybe. <laughs> he He shoots the chains off of him, and he rises and comes up to the top, and he is picked up by a speedboat of rich kids. They Hilarious. throw him a beer. <laughs> hey, dude, you look parched. <laughs> <laughs> to quench his thirst. So Finn makes it uh, to their divorce hearing. Um, Tess is already there. He says he loves her. And she says, okay, well, will you move to Chicago like you promised? And he said, oh, uh, yeah, that could work. And uh, the lawyer says, you know what? Like, it's already done. The, the divorce is final. You were too late. Everything goes to Tess. So up until this point in our movie, uh, Matthew McConaughey is entirely shirtless until <laughs> until he gets to the lawyer's office. Oh, yes, he gets a tie-dyed shirt. That's right. Yeah. So I thought, you know, th- this first of, first of all, uh, quintessential shirtless Matthew McConaughey performance. I think we can agree with Fool's Gold. I am not complaining. <laughs> Guy was ripped in this movie. <laughs> but was. like he was he shirtless was. so much. Yeah. So I thought, who are the all-time shirtless actors? Now, I have two different sets of stats for you, and I'm going to ask you the questions. Okay. So first of all, I have the stat for um, who has the most amount of movies where they have at least one shirtless scene. Okay. Matthew McConaughey is not number one, but he is on the list. All right. So I'll let you do with that what you will. Who do you think? Okay, let's do let's do some Brad Pitt because he's been in enough movies. No. Okay, uh, Tom Cruise. No. Oh, jeez, Louise. Wow. I only picked them because they're in like all the movies. Off to and a poor start. But like those guys have now gone on to more dramatic roles since true. where they don't have as many shirtless moments. Leo DiCaprio. Leo he DiCaprio. was in the water. Number five on the list. He has been shirtless <laughs> in 26.9% no of his movies. Way. Yeah. At least one scene where he's been oh shirtless. Oh my God. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. So Matthew McConaughey, what, what? number is he on the list he's number nine at 24.5 percent wow like i said he now he's done more dramatic stuff so he's not shirtless as much um oh gosh uh christian bale no i'm just thinking batman you know yeah was he shirtless a lot in batman i don't know he was in he was in the cave doing workouts after his back broke oh maybe yeah okay maybe maybe working out in the cell more dramatic think like your classic heartthrobs oh just come on tell me a few Number one by a mile. Oh my god, Zach Efron. No, really. Fifty percent okay. of his movies, he's shirtless in those. Okay, can I have one more guess? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, Miles Teller. Because no, him and Maverick. No. I could watch him all day. No, yeah, not. He he got buff for that movie. I don't know if he, he was did. buff before that. Okay, did you know that they had to retake that scene like two weeks later? Why? Um, oh, I did hear about this. Yes, I think and then Tom he, Cruise just didn't like something about it. He's like, I, "Let's do it again." I can't remember, but they they had like gone on a full binge after like yeah. eating whatever they wanted, and Naturally. then they had to like <laughs> cut again because they <laughs> needed to do it all over again. I am not complaining. That scene was perfection. <laughs> Moving on. Sarah's been raving about it for that movie came out like two years ago now, and you're still on it. Yeah. Uh, Jason Momoa is number two. Oh my god! Yes, Aquaman. I mean, I was so gonna much, say, yeah. Um. This is a weird one. Hayden Christensen, but also Henry Cavill are tied for number Hayden three. Hayden Christensen. Okay. And and who? Henry Cavill. Henry. Oh, uh, again, not complaining. Michael Fassbender is number six. What was he in? Um, oh, he's- I can't um, think of his picture, like his face right now. He's Magneto in the young X-Men movies. Oh, okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. Charlie what? Hunnam is number seven. Mm. Number eight is your guy. Your guy. 
My guy. I have a lot of guys. Andy Samberg. You, <gasps> oh, you only have one guy, yes! though. Andy. Andy Samberg is number eight. He's shirtless in 25% of his movies. No. That feels high okay, wait, for Andy. He's number eight? He's number eight. He's higher than Matthew McConaughey. That's correct. No By a, by a point five, though. Hey, yeah. hey, it's a point five. You go, Andy. And finally, Chris Hemsworth is shirtless in 23.1% of his movies. I believe that. Mm-hmm. I actually would, th- would have thought that that would have been higher, though. Me too. Yeah. I mean, Thor is shirtless constantly. He has. He's also another person who's done a couple dramatic roles here and there that maybe pull him away from the the shirtless vibes. I guess. I guess. Yeah. I mean, maybe Fat Thor also was Fat Thor sh- shirtless. Oh, he was as definitely well. shirtless. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's not technically him though, because clearly he was wearing a suit. Yeah. Yeah. Good you know, question, do we do we Sarah. count that? I don't know if that counts. And you know what? I've got another set of stats, but why don't we leave that for okay. later on? Cool. Because that's your. So that's just most appearances where they happen to be shirtless. I have the all time like. Who's actually got the most screen time? Okay. Shirtless. Well, I am happy that Matthew made it. Oh, he made it. He's going to make it on both lists, actually. <laughs> of course Naturally, he would. This movie being a big piece of it. Yeah. yeah. Tess leaves and Finn chases after her yelling that he found her. This in front of me. I can't believe it. You really think I'd lie about this? Why not? You're a liar. I mean, this is such an inappropriate time to dwell on that. You, I can draw this picture hey, to you. Tess, I'm telling you. We solved a 300-year-old mystery yesterday, all right? Married or not, if we don't go after that ship, it's going to haunt us the rest of our lives, and you know it. I wasted eight years. She says, okay, well, if you found her, them meaning Aurelia, the ship, she says, prove it. So he draws the dinner plate because, of course, Big Bunny has it. He actually doesn't have it because he, something in this movie that I found, I'm like, why are you telling everybody that you found this treasure? Like, they're going to take... They're going to take credit and they're going to take it from you and they're going to take the riches. They're obviously doing it for not historical purposes and finder's fees like you are. They're doing it for pure selfish reasons. You are right. Like, <laughs> That's throughout definitely... the whole movie, he does this. And I'm just like, <laughs> why do you keep divulging all of your secrets to everybody? <laughs> It just was something that I'm like, come on, dude. You are right. And that's what happens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so she's very intrigued, though, and Tess wants to see the plate, but then she realizes that it's all just a game with him. It's always a game. Finn tries to reel her in, saying that they have to find it together, but she says she's going back to Chicago and finishing school. He says, well, how are you going to get the tuition money? Tess says she's going to sell the boat, the boat that sank. That he just blew up, yeah. Yes. So... Then she hits him in the head with a cane, a man's cane that she picks up in a park. And it's hilarious. One thing nobody's talking about is that Matthew McConaughey must have wild concussion (laughs) symptoms by the end. He's knocked out at least twice, I think maybe three times. He's hitting the head a lot. I'm sure they were rubber. Rubber? Like a rubber cane to make it like look like it was oh, like, Oh, I'm you saying know. his character in the oh, movie. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He Finn, for sure. He should be in the hospital. Shape, yeah. That could be possibly why he makes poor decisions. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, like maybe you're hit to one, one too many times. Absolutely. In the movie alone, we're like, wow, that's that's a lot of hits Ooh, to the head. Oh, and man. another one. That's, oh, yikes. I, yeah. Well, Tess goes back to the yacht she does some research. She's on the computer. She's looking up things about the, the the ship. And she realizes after more research that Finn is in fact right. He did find the plate from the ship. Tess is chatting with her, her chef friends on board and says that Finn will, will in fact make his way onto this yacht that they're currently on and convince Nigel, her boss, to give him, Finn, the money 
because he won't get any more money from Big Bunny because obviously he owes him money. And I think she's definitely right. At this point in the movie, you're not sure if it's going to happen. Of course it is. Because we see Finn talking to his buddy Alphonse and who tells him, yeah, did you see the big yacht in the in the harbor? You need to go there. So, of course, what does he do? He goes there. Yeah. All the while, Tess is trying to convince her boss, Nigel, to leave Key West. To leave Key West, but he tells her that he has to wait for his daughter Gemma to get there. Nigel, who owns, of course, the yacht, asks Tess what she does. She's like, "What do you mean? Like, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a chief stew." <laughs> and he says, "Yeah, but that's not all you do. You do more." And he kind of sizes her up in in a very, very nice, positive way. Like, says, "You only use ten percent of your brain for this job." What, what do you do with the other 90%? Because you are a smart person who is on this ship for a short period of time before you figure out what you want to do. And just at that very moment, we see that Finn sees the helicopter with Gemma, his do- Nigel's daughter, on coming in and goes to it. When the daughter Gemma leaves to go off the ship shopping at a later point, Finn finds this the opportune time to become a hero, catches the hat that Gemma um, has that has flown off of her boat, off of her head, and he swoops in to be the hero, except he almost gets knocked out by the boat that Gemma is on. And so he has landed on the yacht. And now now they're beholden to him. They've got to they've gotta get him some medical attention to which Tess arrives and she's like, holy F, my, yeah. hus- my ex-husband's here. To the Arabia. Hey, babe. What are you doing here? Have a good dinner. So good to see everybody. Both Finn and Tess sit down with Nigel at a later point and they chat about the treasure and they tell him the entire story. They uh, tell him how they got uh, basically to where they are now. They found a cannonball that belonged to the Aurelia, lost that court case um, to a man named Mo, who's also a treasure hunter, who we find out that Big Bunny has gone to to hire him to find him this treasure now. And they lost the court case because they used his equipment in it. And then they went backpacking through Spain on their honeymoon and ended up spending two weeks uh, or so or longer uh, in a library reading transcripts of the, I guess, the the sea passage from Spain to um, the New World with this Queen's Dowry. And turns out that the treasure wasn't on the original ship, the Capitana, but it was on the Aurelia that they had pulled a switch because the Capitana was already too heavy. And Sebastian, the son, who was also the captain of the Aurelia, survived and pretended to be somebody else and hide the treasure. And now we know the story of what Finn and Tess are searching for. And Fool's Gold is interesting because, you know, any movie like this, you think like, is this real? Like, are Mm -hmm. stories like this real? Do they ever actually happen? And the answer to that question is a yes. (laughs) There are sunken treasures that are still undiscovered and i have it for you Sarah, so cool isn't it so cool so I, cool i have for you the list of uh six sunken treasures that are still waiting to be found mm. starting with 
they say that this is the richest vessel ever lost at sea, the floor de la mar. Wow. The holy grail of shipwrecks, they call it. Um, a 16th century Portuguese ship, um, one of the finest vessels of its time, they say. <laughs> um, over the years, however, its seaworthiness deteriorated, and before repairs could be inducted, the Flor de la Mar was sum- summoned to assist in the Portuguese conquest of uh, Malacca, which is now Malaysia. When she returned from that campaign in 1511, she was said to have been laden with riches equivalent to over $2 billion for the Portuguese king. Wow. Apparently, it sunk in a storm off the coast of uh, Sumatra, and oh. it's still lost to this day. No, nobody knows exactly where it was, but they say the treasure, probably about $2 billion worth Jeez, of treasures down there Louise. that nobody knows about. The Santa Maria is my favorite story. It actually echoes um, this one from Fool's Gold in regards to like a, a ship transfer situation. The Santa Maria, fun fact... Um, was the ship that uh, Christopher Columbus famously, famously set sail on cool. when he was on his voyage to the Americas in 1492. So he had he had three ships with him, uh, the Nina, the, Pin, uh, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria. The Santa right. Maria being the biggest one, and it ended up sinking on Christmas Eve after, mm. after Christopher Columbus had found the New World. He was on his way back. He was somewhere around modern-day Haiti, and the, stri- the, the ship ran aground. So they pulled all the valuables off that ship and put them on the uh, Nina and Pinta and then traveled back to Europe. Oh. But, I mean, the Santa Maria has no treasure, but it is an iconic boat because it was the one that he found North America with, and it's it's still lost to this day. That all, all people know is that it's somewhere near Haiti is right. where we assume it to be. Wow. The wreckage never found. never found it. I wonder if they ever will. I mean, buried, it's they, buried under a they, lot of sand. They, they got to be found at some point, right? Maybe. I feel like the the oceans are currently, are, sorry, are constantly changing, right? Uh, especially with the tides. Maybe one day. Next, we have the Merchant Royal, known as the El Dorado of the Seas. The El Dorado. Ooh, it's a 700-ton galleon built in the early 17th century. Um it was trading with the colonies in the New World when it stopped back in Spain for some repairs. Whilst there, the captain saw an opportunity to make a little bit more money and agreed with Spanish authorities to transport treasure to pay 30,000 troops that were garrisoned in a Belgian city. So he has this payment for all these troops, 30,000 troops. All of their income basically is on this ship. Oh my God. 100,000 pounds in gold and as much value in jewels, they say. Estimates vary. It's at least over a few hundred million dollars, but people think it might have been about a billion dollars in in modern day money. Yeah. And it sank uh, 30 miles off the Cornish coast. Oh, wow. That's all we know about it. September 23rd, 1641. This one has a fun update, though. Oh. The ship's anchor was discovered by fishermen back in 2019. Wow. Other than that. They still have no idea. Like apparently, around then, people were like, "Holy shit, we're gonna find this treasure." Still haven't found it. Mm. They found the anchor, though. Hmm. I wonder if they just like lost the anchor while they were going. It's like, oh well, perhaps. Very interesting. It it it's you see all these shows and movies about like treasure hunting and and I mean like you can there's that one on um is it that's not on Lifetime but I can't think of it but like Oak Island you know oh, like, oh don't get me started on Oak Island Sarah right? like, Oak Island is so it's, fascinating it's these people there's there actually are people who have dedicated their lives to finding treasure 
and and solving these puzzles like national treasure but real lifers totally like that's what they should name the next one not oak island national treasure real lifers real lifers <laughs> real life people searching for stuff like you know trying to find it and i mean but it's real like pe- these this is people's like livelihood and jobs that they look for this stuff it's just it is mind-boggling that First off, that there is this much gold at the bottom of the ocean. And I, and I had myself like Googled like how much there is a lot of gold at the bottom of the ocean. That's just not found. That's not found. It is amazing. And it's just chilling with the fish, you know? Hell yeah. I've got, I said six. I'll hit you with one more though, because it's similar to our story here. It's the 1715 treasure fleet. 11 Spanish ships laden with treasure. From the Americas, apparently set sail from Havana, Cuba, heading home. Now, you know geographically where Cuba is. Apparently, they encountered a hurricane off the coast of Florida. Mm. All 11 ships sank. A thousand lives were unfortunately lost. But to this day, that 1715 fleet is all they kind of call it. Um, Divers continued to find gold and silver from these wreckages even today wow. and pieces of treasure have been known to wash up on the beaches of Florida from oh my the, God. They've, they've tracked it back to that's this fleet back in 1715 that's insane that sank and you'll you'll just find like a piece of gold one day on the beach that is crazy Isn't that wild wow that's amazing similar to our story here Nigel has allowed Gemma to make the ultimate decision as to whether she goes and uh, yachts with her friends or whether she spends the next month with Finn and Tess and Nigel, her dad, treasure hunting. So she obviously decides. I was going to say, hunt. did she obviously decide? I like this storyline because Nigel is clearly trying to reconnect with his daughter. Mm-hmm. He saw a text message where his daughter's like, oh, God, I hate hanging out with my dad. <laughs> and he sees this as an opportunity because you think, like, why would Nigel put himself at risk to be like, oh, we're going to effing treasure hunt now. Because he's like a million billionaire. But he's also like, my daughter seems interested in this. So why oh, don't we yes. do something my daughter's interested in? That that's, could be a cool way for us to bond. And it was. Oh, yeah. And so she chooses to go on a treasure hunt. So as they're heading to the site to go to the treasure hunt, so the yacht has decided, I mean, it's a great way to travel, like a luxury yacht. Tess finds out that Big Bunny owns the island and that will be a big issue. Hauling treasure up onto their yacht as Big Bunny owns the island. He's not going to like that they're going to be doing that, obviously. Also, by the time that Tess, Finn, and the yacht get there, they see that Mo has already started and has been about a day or two ahead of them. They're setting up charges at the bottom of the ocean um, to try to to blow it up to see if they can kick up anything else kind of like the plate and um, they need to, to slow it down. So Finn grabs a tank and starts scuba diving underneath and tries to pull apart the charges. They get Gemma to try and um, woo the boys, uh, which works until her... Um, stupidity <laughs> ditziness, um, yeah ditziness um she's like oh my god finn's down like, there oh in the god, water finn is that you like oh like first off he can't reply to you and secondly most yes, crew now knows like <laughs> most cr- yeah most crew now knows and um so they set off a few of the charges trying to blow finn up and out of the water um they don't they do find a sword from obviously the the ship or we we kind of assume that it's from the aurelia um and finn lands on mo's boat gets beaten up uh comes comes back to the yacht with his tail between his legs but they do keep the sword because he does throw the sword back onto the yacht so we're one step closer so we think 
The crew eats dinner that night, then Tess and Finn go to bed separately. But when Tess goes to see Finn in his room to tell him how great he was earlier that day, he's not even there. Nigel and Gemma play gin, uh, gin rummy, um, but then they get into a little argument and uh, Nigel just wants to connect with Gemma, but... Um, they're just having a little bit of a hard time because we find out that Gemma's mother is no longer with Nigel and um, Nigel's a little bit bitter about how much money he had to pay to Gemma's mom. So that's just a little side side story there. Finn just can't help himself. He shows up at Big Bunny's, I don't know, like lair with the sword. Every villain needs a lair. Yeah. Why do you keep giving him your treasure that yeah. you find? What Why an did idiot. You take a real sword. That sword is so dull. Yeah. <laughs> what is it going to do? Like, are you trying to wave it in front of his face? Look, Big Bunny, I found something. Like, what are you doing? He gets hit by the new guy, Cyrus, and now Big uh, Big Bunny has the sword. He tries to make a deal with Big Bunny. He has to find the treasure, and Big Bunny won't kill him. That's the deal, because he owes Big Bunny $62,000. I said sixty-five, but sixty-two. They haven't found anything yet. A few days goes by and it's pouring rain. So they're on the mainland. They're all chatting at a bar. They're just kind of having a few drinks. And when I say they, I mean Tess, Nigel, Finn, and Gemma. Realizing that Sebastian, the captain of the Aurelia, they start just talking about the history of it all, lied about where the ship went down. Nigel kind of says, you know, we know that Sebastian lied about everything else leading up to it. The fact that the the Aurelia was the one carrying and not the Capitana. And he says, why wouldn't Sebastian lie about where he put the boat? Like, we all think that it's in this one place, but why would he put it where we, we he says it? So they realize that instead he, Sebastian, ran the ship aground to save the treasure on the North Beach, which is not where they were looking and hit it somewhere else. And Finn figures this out through this conversation. Tess and Finn go, um, they go diving and Tess finds the bell from the Aurelia on the North shore. And Finn finds a cannon uh, that they found and and they found it. They basically found the Aurelia where, where it was, um, I guess, went to ground. They start collecting it all on the beach and they find a bunch of stuff, like a lot of no treasure, but they find a lot of pieces of the ship. They know that the real gold and treasure isn't there, and it has to be inland. They decide to look at the church. All the while, Cyrus has been spying on them through the bushes while they've been collecting all this on a gorgeous beach. The oldest building on the island is a church. And of course, um, Tess and Finn go to the church at night. They start going through all of the old records, and they find a record of someone coming 80 years or so afterwards, after the Aurelia would have uh, landed. And the writer of said journal said that they found a headstone with the name Aurelia on it and decided that that's where they would build the church for their community and bury their dead. That's where it is. So they search and search the headstones and they can't find it until Tess keeps tripping over a rock. Finn lifts it up and it says the Aurelia. They finally have found it. They dig and dig and dig to find a barrel filled with Sebastian's items as well as his journal, which says where he buried the treasure. They figure it out that it's in a blowhole that's only accessible two days out of the year. Of course, this would not be a complete movie without the bad guy coming in. Big Bunny literally shows up at the perfect time. Whoa, whoa, whoa. you're missing the best part. Oh, tell me, tell me. It, it's a rom-com, Sarah. I know. Oh, Finn yes. Finn and Tess have sex in the church. Oh, yeah, they do. They reconsummate mm-hmm. the... I don't know. That has to be some bad um, karma there, but 
um, because they're divorced now and they're in a church. But <laughs> yeah. I, I, at least Tess says as much. But we're finally getting a rekindling of the romance. Yes. And it's funny. One thing I do like about this movie, a lot of like enemies to lovers things are very like there's a lot of animosity. Yeah. This one, though. There's a little bit of that, but mostly I see the chemistry of what once was. You chemistry, know what I mean? teamwork. You never questioned it. You never questioned that they would blow up with an argument and she'd walk away. And I appreciated that about this movie, that there, the the climax of the movie wasn't climax. her getting upset about something that he did and her stomping off and him trying to get her back. That was done already at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. Yeah, I'm making a joke that oh, climax okay. means orgasm. Yeah, God. I know. But like, I just didn't know if that was the right word. I was like, is that the right word? Because <laughs> you made <laughs> Sarah was just staring at me like, what? Climax? Like, yeah. Well, yeah. I asked like, is that the right word? Because like, I'm pretty sure it just sure had sex in a church. Yeah, I know. Ha ha. <laughs> anyway, the bad guys do show yeah. up. Nice to meet you, Miss Finnegan. Oh, hey, Bunny. What the hell are you doing here? Ah. Give me the book. Come on, Bonnie. I mean, so you sure you don't want to, you know, give it to the new guy? Finn gets away but ends up flying off a cliff and is presumably dead, whereas Tess is captured by Big Bunny's henchman and is brought to the blowhole where she is thrown into the hole only to say that there's nothing down there. And then they let the rope loose to basically let her fend for herself and potentially, you know, die. She finds the treasure when she dives down into the blowhole deeper. And it is so cool. It's so cool that she finally found the treasure. Money, jewels, everything is down there. She ties the rope that they left for her to, uh, I think, probably a cannon down there. And when the blowhole goes up, she, you know, holds on to it. And money and jewels fly through the blowhole, but Tess keeps hiding in the in the space. Finn gets to a payphone and calls now, uh, calls Mo for help to get Tess back, and he comes through. A shirtless Finn, Matthew McConaughey, calls Mo. Yeah. And I think now we can finally talk about who has the all-time record, Sarah? For most amount of screen time shirtless okay. in movie history. Okay. Matthew McConaughey, you would think based on this role alone and a few other rom-coms that he's probably high on the list, but well, why don't you... He, I'll, I'll give you a hint. Okay. He is on the list. I've got the top eight answers on the board. Top eight. Who has the most total like minutes, seconds of shirtless screen time? Jason Momoa. Jason Momoa not on the list. What? Okay, Hold on. He's not on the list? He's on the list for most movies he's had a shirtless scene. Wow. But he's not the most shirtless amount of time, if that oh, makes sense. Oh, movies. Okay, because I was going to say, like, in Game of Thrones, he was also shirtless quite a bit. Jason Momoa was not. Oh, Cal yes, Drogo. he was. Yeah, he was Cal Drogo. I don't think shows count. Okay. We're talking No, movies. that's what I mean. That's why yeah. I clarified. Oh, yeah. movies. Cal Drogo, okay. very shirtless. Yes, You're right. right. You're right. <laughs> like, that's Cal why I was Drogo, like, hey. Nothing but shirtless, actually. <laughs> yeah, good point. <laughs> <laughs> series and shows do not count. All right, all right. Okay, you got to give me one. Um, number one answer on the board. Mm-hmm. Think like one of the most iconic action superstars, like British action character. There's James a- Bond. Which one though? Which James Bond? Daniel there's, Craig. Yes, there's only one appropriate. <laughs> Remember the, the the first time we're introduced to Daniel Craig mm-hmm. as James Bond, he's walking up from the beach. Yes, yes, yes. that was Daniel wasn't Craig. that Casino Royale. Yeah, that's when yeah. we were introduced to him. Yeah, exactly. So shirtless. Um, I'll I give like you, that was a good. One. So he spent uh, he spent one thousand two hundred seventy eight seconds total of screen wow. time being shirtless. Okay, 
That's 21 minutes. That's amazing. Um, I, I already mentioned Matthew McConaughey's mm-hmm. on the list. At number three, 1,026 seconds of shirtless screen time. Who else is on here? Okay, I like when you give me hints. Um, we've got three people from the previous list. Um, okay. I am really bad at this. I'm sorry. You just did the previous list. I know. Give me more, Devin. What? Oh, okay. Um, it's embarrassing. Wow. <laughs> it is embarrassing. <laughs> oh, we have, we have a guy who's um, done a lot of shirtless boxing. That's probably why he's on this list, because he's boxed in so many movies, so many iconic boxing movies that he's been shirtless in. Think of the most iconic boxing movie you can, Sarah. I don't know. Think about it. Oh my God, just tell me. Just Rocky. Tell me. Rocky. Sylvester Stallone is oh number two God. on the list. Really? Well, yeah, he has like all those five. Rocky, Rocky movies. Five. Sh- right? There's a lot five of, Rocky of them. Movies. <laughs> and he's shirtless in those. Um, I'll take the previous uh, list. Oh, Chris Hemsworth. No, didn't make the list. Okay. Leo DiCaprio is number eight on the list. Leo DiCaprio, yeah, that cold, cold Titanic water. He wasn't shirtless in that. that? No, no. He could have been, but we don't know. Jack Rose, I can't. I'm shirtless. There's no room on the door for me. There's no room on the door. We got to rewatch the Titanic. We got to put that on the list. Um, I'll take Charlie Hunnam off the board for you as well. He was on the previous list. Probably won't get him. Uh, Michael Fassbender, I'll take off the list for you. He was number five. Number five. Okay. So you've got two left. All right. I like your like your guesses. You have a um, a Marvel villain. Loki. No, not Marvel. Tom Hiddleston. Marvel. A Spider Man villain. Um, and you have oh Tom Hardy. No, That's but you're Venom. getting closer. Yeah. Um, and you've got another guy who he. I uh, remember the the retelling of uh, Pocahontas. No, he was in like the retelling of Pocahontas. There was a retelling of Pocahontas. And I'm assuming he was shirtless in it. Okay, who's that? A uh, Colin Farrell. Oh, Colin Farrell. Really? You you didn't you don't know about this? No, they did like yeah a live action like a retelling. live action retelling yeah, of Pocahontas. Of Pocahontas. Like when? Maybe like 10, 15 years ago, yeah. I never heard of that. And the other guy on the list, Jake Gyllenhaal, spent a lot of time shirtless. I never would have guessed Jake Gyllenhaal. Never. <laughs> ever, ever, ever. <laughs> I, I mean, suck at these games. For somebody who loves guys shirtless in rom-coms, you did a very poor job at identifying who is shirtless the most <sighs> in movies. Yeah. Yeah, I just, you know, I like to look. and. I like to look. I don't know who I'm looking at. I just like to see people shirtless. <laughs> and before we jump back into it, um, The New World is what it was called. A 2005 historical romantic drama. Wow. Featuring Captain John Smith, played by Colin Farrell. I have never heard of it. <laughs> I remember it was a big thing when it came out. Really? Yeah, it didn't do great at the box office. I was going to say, it probably did terribly at the box office. I, I think it reviewed very poorly as well, <laughs> if I'm remembering correctly. <laughs> I would not oh, be surprised. No. It's only got a 63% on Rotten Tomatoes, That's, which isn't horrible, but it's not yeah, great. No, because I have seen movies get like a 3% on Rotten yeah. Tomatoes. So yeah. 
I guess that's okay. So we have the henchmen, Cyrus and Curtis. They take the tanks to go through the ocean to get into the cave where the treasure is. They find Tess, and Cyrus tries to um, kill her, but Finn comes to the rescue, and Cyrus is no more. <laughs> Bye, Cyrus. <laughs> Mo takes on Curtis, and as ba- as Big Bunny tries getting away in his plane, the boat that uh, that has Nigel and the chefs on it, um, Nigel starts shooting at the plane. Yeah. Didn't you feel like this was a great like turning of the tides moment? Like Moe's on their side. Oh, yes. He's screaming in on a boat. They're shooting at Nigel grabs the shotgun. He's shooting at people. You know, I knew Nigel could shoot a gun. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, he looks like a guy who's shot. Absolutely. A, like maybe maybe it was skeet shooting, in, but like he knows how to shoot at a, gun. a country house. Yeah, you know, exactly. like at a country club. He definitely has been shooting at a country club. Uh, shoot out a metal plate flying through the With air. With a cigar in his mouth. Shoot out know? a plane. And yeah, same thing. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Definitely. Alphonse starts shooting at him as well. And at this point, Tess has resurfaced and um, has resurfaced right at where the, the float plane is. And Big Bunny takes her hostage. They get into the air, but not before Gemma gets Finn using the jet ski to the plane to save Tess. Tess kicks Big Bunny out of the plane while they're in the air. Let me just say this. No. Why not? Tell me after we crash. I'll give me something to look forward to. And between Finn and Tess, they chaotically crash the plane to survive. That's quite the plane crash to survive, though. Like, the plane is, like, no more. <laughs> a little bit unbelievable, but we'll, we'll roll with it. It's a rom-com. Yes. Fast forward, we see that Tess and Finn are married again, and they have a little treasure hunter on the way. They're also cutting the ribbon to a new museum surrounded by their friends and fellow treasure hunters that showcase the treasure of the Aurelia. And there we have it. That is our story of Fool's Gold. Like we were chatting about off the top, like just a a very well-rounded 2000s rom-com that at the time I think got a little bit of flack for being like another rom-com. But you go back and rewatch these and it's like, yeah, but these were good. These were fun. And they're still satisfying to watch today, which I love. Quick facts. Mo Fitch is based on treasure hunter Mel Fisher, whose Key West Maritime Museum houses gold and silver artifacts from Spanish treasure ships. Oh my God, he is from Key West. That's so cool. Production was delayed when an infestation of deadly box jellyfish kept Matthew McConaughey and Kate Hudson out of the water. The box jellyfish is only located on the northern coast of Australia, so the infestation of them could only have been there where they were actually filming. And the mountain range background doesn't exist in the Caribbean, so we know that they were filming in Australia. The start of the film, where they were diving and the boat sinks, as well as many other shots through uh, the film, are actually shot at Lizard Island in far north Queensland. Australia, which is why uh, why the box jellyfish delayed... This is why the box jellyfish delayed the fishing... Sorry, filming. Sorry, it's in north Queensland? Far north Queensland, yeah. Okay. I'm not done, though. Okay, are you still talking about yes. Australia? Yes. Keep talking about Australia. Okay. They're seasonal in North Queensland. Um, the scene in the bar when the precious gem is at anchor outside Key West, like I say that in quotations, is actually Port Douglas, far North Queensland. And this is so reductive for our friends in Australia, but anytime I hear about Queensland or North Queensland, there's a politician in Australia who's oh gone very stop. viral 
because he just, he goes from having a normal conversation to just snapping about something. And there's a clip of him that I'm going to play here of him being asked something about like same-sex marriages and he's like, I don't care about blah, blah, blah. I mean, you know, people are entitled to their sexual proclivities. You know, I mean, let there be a thousand blossoms bloom as far as I'm concerned. You know, but I ain't spending any time on it because in the meantime, every three months, a person is torn to pieces by a crocodile in North Queensland. And then he's just like, and I'm not going to talk about it while there are uh, crocodiles attacking people in North <laughs> Queensland. And he just <laughs> loses it over this situation. and About crocodiles. About crocodiles, when really the original question was this other thing. And anyway, I like, love Australia, love the people there. But anytime I hear Queensland or North Queensland, I'm like, you got that crazy politician over there. <laughs> he, is, he is a time, let me tell you. <laughs> The yacht, the Precious Gem, is a 135-inch sovereign yacht built in New Zealand and designed by Jack Saren. Its real name is the Carrie Lee. It charters for $70,000 per week and can, can accommodate up to 12 guests. Kevin Hart had never seen the word facade in print. He said the line, don't you think that this is a facade? Three times before the director, Andy Tennant, corrected him. When asked what he thought he was saying, Kevin said he didn't know, but he knew he sold the line. <laughs> I nailed it. <laughs> the scene where Tess slaps Finn after they walk out of the courthouse was filmed in front of the vice chancellor's building at the Queensland University of Technology, which is above the city's botanical gardens. I'm sorry, that actually reminds me <laughs> of another Kevin Hart line that's so similar. He uh, So Kevin Hart has a very small role in 40-Year-Old Virgin. Yeah. And there's a scene where yes. he comes into that hardware store, that, that electronic store, trying to buy something off this other character. And the other guy says something, and he's like, you know what? Now you're being condescending. See, mm -hmm. you've been warned, all right? Let's move forward amicably. Okay, well, so check I, this out. Though. First of all, you're throwing too many big words at me. Okay, now, because I don't understand them, I'm going to take them as disrespect. Mm -hmm. Watch your mouth okay. and help me with the sale. You're using a lot of big words, and because I don't know what they mean, I'm going to take them as disrespect. <laughs> and then he just starts, like, arguing with the guy. It sounds exactly the same. Like, I don't know what a facati is, but I think I nailed that line, buddy. <laughs> it's such a Kevin Hart line. Oh, my God. <laughs> The comic book that the burning piece of paper lands on is Invincible, a comic series written by Robert Kirkman, creator of The Walking Dead. Love Invincible. Season two, Amazon Prime. It's fantastic. Just saying. Kate Hudson rented a house on Rabina Waters, Gold Coast, Queensland during filming. Matthew McConaughey and Kate Hudson worked together in We All Know How to Lose, a Ten, uh, How to Lose Guy in 10 Days from 2003. Tom Cruise was originally considering starring in this project, but chose Lions for Lambs instead. Kate Hudson and Kevin Hart were both born in 1979, but were uh, three months apart from each other, or are three months apart from each other. Hudson was born uh, on April 19th, and Hart was born on July 6th. <laughs> That's so funny. It's just a stupid fact. <laughs> Glad we have that in there. In 2005, Matthew McConaughey starred in Sahara, the movie, portraying a very, very similar character to Finn and also has a sort of sidekick named Alphonse. In Sahara, he was Dirk Pitt. He knew a lot about, a his he knew a lot about history and was diving for treasure. And his sidekick is Al um, Giordino. Sure. 
there's an inconsistency though so the plane the airplane propeller after the plane crash at the end of the movie would not still be moving if it was underwater it would stop as soon as the craft made impact with the surface of the water when nigel and Gemma are playing gin rummy they play for penny a point at the end of playing nigel owes Gemma twenty eight thousand dollars so he lost 2.8 million points to her wow honorable mentions I would love to honorably mention, you know, th- this doesn't happen as much recently, but especially in like the 2000s and previous, I love when you get an actor who they're like, we need a Ukrainian guy. And they're like, well, this guy's from Scotland. Could he do it? Because like I-, I was watching this movie and Ewan Brumner is in this as Alphonse and they're like the-, the Ukrainian. And I vaguely was like, I've seen him in so many British comedies and British things. I know for a fact this dude is not effing oh Ukrainian. Evidenced by the fact that like he pulls off the accent occasionally, but you can tell he has very little dialogue. And yeah. I'm like, it's because he's from Scotland and you're <laughs> they're probably just on a whim. They're like, hey, we just need a guy to pretend to be Ukrainian for like five scenes. Like, how about Ewan? He'll do it. But at that point, just make him Scottish. Yeah, well, and that's what I mean. rewrite the character to be Scottish. There's no ties to, like, for him being Eastern European versus somebody who's from the UK or, you know, Scotland, right? it's funny because, like, (laughs) facially, I guess he vaguely has an Eastern European thing. But, like, you didn't need to make him Ukrainian. You should have made him Scottish. Yeah. Anyway, I just thought that was funny. It was a funny little quirk where they're like, and here's the Ukrainian guy. I'm like, he's not Ukrainian. (laughs) And then when he speaks, it's like he's got very little dialogue, I can tell. That's so funny. Um, Okay, so my honorable mention is Mo. He came through. Oh, He started out as kind of like a mini villain, but not really. You kind of knew that Finn had burned that bridge. Mm -hmm. But when it came to Tess, clearly they really did have a close relationship at one point. And, you know, the court case split them up as, as partners. But... In the end, he cared more about the safety of his friends and finding the treasure, not for personal, you know, riches and and whatnot, but finding it because of the historical meaning and and whatnot. Um, Yeah. Go, Mo, go. (laughs) What should have been? All right. I want to know what happened to Big Bunny. We know what happened to Cyrus. (laughs) We know we have an idea of what happened to Curtis. What happened to Big Bunny? He was kicked out of the plane at a very high altitude. One can assume. However, how many times was Finn kicked in the face and beat down in this movie to only come back surviving? He he flew off a cliff on an ATV. Like, <laughs> and he survived that. Big Bunny might be able to survive being kicked out of a uh, an airplane. So I want to know what happened to him. I like it. I like it. My what should have been is, um, I think we need more of these rom-coms. In the world. I mean, despite the fact that this got, you know, some negative news and reviews when it came out, it still made $111 million on a $70 million budget. And that's just the box office. Like, it obviously made more since then. Um, these make money. And not only that, like, they're fun to watch. You know what? I, I would consider this a great airplane watch. You don't need to focus too hard. You're going to see chemistry. You're going to see action. You're going to be entertained. And at the end of the day, like we said off the top, it's like, I know what's going to happen. So this is just a very easy, satisfying watch. And I think we need more of these. Yeah. Especially with two actors like Matthew McConaughey and Kate Hudson. Where's our new that duo? You know, where's the new Julia Roberts, Richard Gere, where they're going to do a couple rom-coms together? I want to see that. I want to see the Meg Ryan, Tom Hanks thing happen. Anyway. 
overall rewatchability. So I have chemistry. Listen, Kate Hudson, Matthew McConaughey. It's a five out of five. Would you agree that that's five? I do agree with you. Storyline, I've got a 3.8. It does get into some of those formulaic uh, plot points, but it was still interesting enough that it it captured you. They went through a lot of the formulaic stuff, but they still threw you a couple curveballs along the way, which I liked. Thirst Factor, obviously five out of five. It's the McConaughey shirtless film. Uh, Imagination, I've got a 4.2. It's a treasure hunt rom-com. We see treasure hunt movies. We don't see treasure hunt rom-coms as much. Soundtrack, a 3.5. You're thinking, Devin, this movie is an all-time great. Hold on. Cheese. Cheese is a 2.3. Because like I said, they, they get into some of those formulaic plot points. They get a little bit sticky with the comedy sometimes, which I think can be good, but sometimes it can be a little... Uh, yeah, we're, we're doing one of those bits again. Um, so that gives us an overall score. I actually really love this score. A 3.97. As you know from me, when you get into four territory, great movie. 4.5, an all-time icon. This one is just on the cusp. This is a very, very good movie for me. I, I think I agree with you on most things. So chemistry, five. Storyline, four for me. Thirst factor, five. Imagination 3.8, soundtrack 4, cheese 2.5, okay. for an overall score of 4.05. Okay, so we're right in the same area. Yeah. Wool's gold. Honestly, a great rewatch. If you've got a flight anytime soon, I would say a great airplane movie. Honestly, like, this is this is going to be so satisfying to, to rewatch. It's just fun and easy. Thanks for listening.